Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. In part one of this one-sided discussion, you got a bit of an introduction into some perspectives concerning the subject matter of Bigfoot, while I drove down a road in southern Oregon alongside the Rogue River. This time, we're pulled over to the side of the road, so you will hear the sound of the river raging in the background. I don't wear a title of Bigfoot researcher. Look, I just think the phenomenon of a creature of the forest responsible for thousands of anecdotal references, such as rock-throwing, and sightings and interactions and smells and tracks and hair samples, a creature with stories that span the globe, span thousands of years, and is included in the lore and mythology of hundreds of nations and cultures, and heck, even Theodore Roosevelt claims to have come across one, has got to have something going for it, even if it's all bunk. My life was changed during the making of Survivor Man Bigfoot, which you can watch right now, by the way, on my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Dash Les Stroud. Please subscribe. It was changed by the phenomenon itself, which is what I like to call it, a phenomenon. That should intimidate no one. Was I changed profoundly? Kinda, sorta, maybe, but not really. Because real or not, and for full disclosure, I have never seen one with my own eyes, it won't change who I am or what I do or how I feel about life. So I kind of hope they are real because, well, it would just be cool. Here we go again. Oh, and I should caution here, There is one or two questions repeated from part one, so you might notice that, but I left them in because sometimes when you answer a question a second time, you might give a better answer. These are the words of my Bigfoot interview, part two. Part three, to follow. Do you believe in Santa Claus? That's a fun question to ask when the child is seven. But do you believe in Bigfoot? It's the wrong question to ask entirely. It makes it a joke. You're talking about fairy dust now, and you're not talking about a biological being that may have or may not have plausibility. You're talking about something that has been experienced throughout history by hundreds of different cultures. And the anecdotal references are overwhelming. So do you believe in Bigfoot? That's a nonsensical question. It's, dare I say it, disrespectful to the phenomenon to ask it that way. Now, ask me, do I think this is possible? Do I think it's plausible? What's the biological realities of something like that existing in the forest? Well, those are good questions to ask, and they will spur on the right kind of discussion. But do you believe in Bigfoot? It's a stupid question. Now sit right there and I'll tell a tale, the story of one night, the night that I lost everything in a 30-second fight. I took a drink. Finding Bigfoot eventually turned 
the interest in the phenomenon of Sasquatch and Bigfoot into a cultural punchline. And now the blues don't bring me comfort. Rock and roll is just a lie. You know, the reality is that the television industry is ridiculously fickle. And the executive producers within the television industry, the majority of them are very timid and not risk takers. And with their bean counters, it's even worse. I like risk takers. Primarily, I like to take risks on new story concepts, new things to do. However, in the Bigfoot territory, there already was one particular television series that I felt was doing it all wrong and was in many ways destroying, uh, I thought, a wonderful opportunity to, to really research this phenomenon well. So I created my own series. When you are pitching a series where there's another series that's already a big hit, the networks love that because they like being derivative. I wasn't about to be derivative, but I just said Bigfoot. They said, great, we have a series over here that's killing it. Do it. So no pushback at all. What's good to know is a little bit of the history of filming Sasquatch, and you start with the Gimlin-Patterson film footage, and, and it goes on from there. But actually making documentary films, there weren't that many. There was Monster Quest was fantastic. Doug Hycheck did that series. And that was very standard for the day, straight, scientific, documentary style. No reality television in there whatsoever. For one reason or another, this subject matter of Bigfoot, it's everywhere, and then you don't hear about it for a few years. And then it's everywhere, and you don't hear about it. Well. It was becoming everywhere again. So the series Finding Bigfoot sadly was created in an era when reality television was reigning supreme, as it kind of still is. And I say sadly because reality television and documentary filmmaking are two vastly different things. I can't stand it that the lines are blurred. It drives me crazy. There are a lot of great documentary filmmakers that have passed on that are rolling over in their graves right now for what's being portrayed as being real and documentative. And Finding Bigfoot tried to do that with Bigfoot and Sasquatch. But it was a joke. Scenes were made up on the sides of roads. They were making judgment calls on stuff they knew nothing about. They created characters, the four characters. Don't get me wrong. I like Cliff. He's a really nice man. Good musician, too. Don't know the rest of them. But what Finding Bigfoot did was, because of their antics, and because so much of it was just nonsense, with the exception of the town halls, Finding Bigfoot eventually turned the interest in the phenomenon of Sasquatch and Bigfoot into a cultural punchline. You'd see a Robert Downey Jr. movie trailer, and the, the joke in the trailer, the punchline is something about, my client wants to meet Sasquatch. And when I saw it, my heart sank. Why did my heart sink? Because I thought it was a phenomenon that deserved some real, skeptical, intelligent research. And that's not what was going on with that series. I don't ever mind going on record having said Finding Bigfoot did more to discredit and ruin the opportunity of researching this phenomenon called Sasquatch than anything else out there, single-handedly, because it turned it into a cultural punchline. People giggled, but now, you know, somebody asks you, they giggle. That's branding. We have Bigfoot and Sasquatch branding. You want to drink a Bigfoot pop, you want to smoke a Bigfoot cigarette, there's Bigfoot wine. I, it just goes on and on. And yeah, I'd say all of that flies right off the back of Finding Bigfoot, that television series. If you start to get interested in Bigfoot, it is such a slippery slope. And that slippery slope leads to a rabbit hole that is coated in ice 
with grease poured down it that goes off into 50 other rabbit holes. That is trying to discover Sasquatch and Bigfoot, to learn what it's about. It just shoots off in all these different directions. So once you do start investigating all these different rabbit holes into whatever Bigfoot is supposed to be, what I think you get is almost like a scale. And on one end of the scale, they're aliens. And on the other end of the scale, they're just really big, smart apes. And in between, I think what you have, it's like a gradient. It's all these shades of what I like to consider the most important part of this is what are their attributes. So if I say to you, these are their attributes, like I'm some kind of wildlife biologist who knows about Sasquatch, yeah, it'd be nonsense. This is the claims of attributes. These are the claims that people make of experiences they have with this phenomenon that seems like, well, that, that must be an attribute. Like what? Super strength and speed, this massive size, using infrasound, which we know we have in the natural world. A lion might use infrasound to disable a certain ungulate, make them feel nauseous. Cloaking, well, octopus cloak. So we have attributes that are quite within the scope of the natural realm. And then you have telepathy and maybe being able to control the vibration of their body, they seem to half disappear. And then you have alien connection and all, and all this stuff is swirling around in the middle and people are trying to pick camps to live in. The most definitive camps are the it's a big ape camp. They're working for the aliens camp. I like the stuff in the middle because in the end, what I think is really going on here is it's not Occam's razor. It's more Hickam's dictum. Maybe they're a little bit of everything. Could they be a highly evolved, highly intelligent, very secretive ape that has cloaking ability like octopus, infrasound ability like lions, can speak telepathically, can understand and communicate telepathically, and have all these different attributes all at the same time? I'm kind of like, well, you know, that does answer all of the questions. Because when you try to sit in one of those gradients solidly, there's 80% of the questions you can't answer. The ape people can't answer for a lot of things. And the alien people can't answer for a lot of things. So it's, I like being in the middle there and letting it all swirl around until we figure out what exactly it is. Firstly, what I would want to say is that where you land on what you think Sasquatch is or Bigfoot is will depend on how open your mind is. So if you're pretty dogmatic and closed-minded, you're going to pretty much stick with the ape theory. If you're wildly, fantastically open-minded, you're going with aliens. You know, I like to be skeptical, intelligent, even cynical at times to be in the right place, but to be an open-minded skeptic, I think the best place to be. But you definitely, for the most part, most people start with the ape thing. You start there because, well, wait a minute. Well, how could he live up? Oh, I guess he could live out here. Huh, never thought about that. Yeah, there's food, they, they could eat elk and they catch salmon and they could live in caves. Well, that's all pretty violent. That makes sense to me. So you start there. But the more you go out, the more you experience, the more you talk to people, when seven people in a row tell you the same thing and it's all about telepathy, if you're open-minded, you're going, huh, never thought about that. That might explain why they never get seen on trail cams. They know. I think trail cams are a perfect example of why they can't just be smart apes. 
they were just smart apes, there'd be some in a zoo. We'd have them caught, they'd be stuffed. So why can't trail cams catch them? Think of it this way. Uh, if I walked into your living room and set up the camera that you're using to film me right now on your kitchen table, would you notice it? Think of the wilderness, it's their home. Think of it that way. Every broken branch, if they're communicating through manipulating trees very subtly, just like Aboriginal cultures did for many years, they communicated with tiny little branches on the ground. Okay, think of it this way. This is their home. They know it intimately. Every branch, every rock, every tree. Maybe their senses are ridiculously attuned to this natural world, their sight, their smell, the vibrational energy. And so if I stuck a beach ball all blown up and put it on your kitchen table, you're gonna spot it. You're gonna go, what in the, and, and if you're already really in tune to the fact that well, this is wrong, that there's something wrong about this, you're just gonna stay away from it. You're gonna, you're gonna know it's there. Well, you put a trail cam on a tree, they're never being filmed by these trail cams. Ergo, they have to know what's going on. They don't necessarily know that it's a trail cam and humans put it there to film them. They just know it's wrong. And I'm conjecturing them. But we have to come up with some kind of answer as to why they never get seen on, on trail cams. And for me, it's got to have everything to do with stealth, intelligence, and senses that are beyond our understanding. Do you believe in Santa Claus? That's a fun question to ask when the child is seven. But do you believe in Bigfoot? It's the wrong question to ask entirely. It makes it a joke. You're talking about fairy dust now. And, and, and you're not talking about a biological being that may have or may not have plausibility. You're talking about something that has been experienced throughout history by hundreds of different cultures. And the anecdotal references are overwhelming. So do you believe in Bigfoot? That's a nonsensical question. It's, it's uh, dare I say it, disrespectful to the phenomenon to ask it that way. Now, ask me, do I think this is possible? Do I think it's plausible? What's the biological realities of something like that existing in the forest? Well, those are good questions to ask, and they will spur on the right kind of discussion. But do you believe in Bigfoot? It's a stupid question. From my debut album of oh so many years ago, oh, 1999 actually, this is... The blues don't bring me comfort. Now sit right there and I'll tell a tale The story of one night The night that I lost everything In a 30-second fight I took Sweet forbidden wine And now the blues don't bring me comfort And rock and roll is just a lie And I'm feeling awful bad about The truth that I've been shown I know I'm only human now can't take too much load I know I hurt you Oh Lord, I made you cry 
And now the blues don't bring me comfort Rock and roll is just a lie stars above like altars in the sky I'll pray to every one of them that once before I die I get to hold you oh in my arms one more night but now the blues don't bring me comfort and rock and roll is just a lie Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. I'll start with the positive, and I, and I, and I want to land on a, on a place that I really enjoy. 
as far as has this interest in Bigfoot created a community uh, that people can enjoy and take part in? It absolutely has, and I fully welcome that type of Bigfoot community. So for example, if I were to lead a group of 10, 16-year-olds or 14-year-olds or 12-year-olds out on a Sasquatch discovery hike, you know what I care about? There's 10 teenagers out in the wilderness. That's what I care about. So what if they're looking for bent over branches and big footprints in the mud? The fact is they're out in the bush. They're experiencing nature. That's what's important about the communities that have developed around this. People get back out in the woods again, which is my mission in life, was getting people back out in the woods. The negative side of the Bigfoot community is the infighting and the finger pointing and the, which camp are you in? Are you in a, the, the ape camp or are you in the alien camp? Well, don't say telepathy, la 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 la. No, no, they don't do that. Though that's the nonsensical part of the Bigfoot community. These, and I, I think you have this <laughs> swirling cauldron of egos matched with eager hopefuls who want to be the person who discovers Bigfoot definitively, matched with spiritualists who think they're on a mission to share the message of the forest giants with humanity so that we will all just love each other again, matched with the scientists who want to prove it, but who mostly, desperately, want the approval of their peers, their biologist peers. That's what a lot of the scientific Bigfoot people want. John Bindernagel, God rest his soul, is a wonderful human being, and I really enjoy my time with him. But I fear that he was really distracted by just trying to get science to believe him. It's like, ah, screw the scientists if they're not going to be open to this. They will eventually. They didn't believe Galileo either. You know what I mean? On and on and on. They didn't believe Einstein either. So there's that community there, and it's full of a lot of crazies. Maybe me too. I don't think the Finding Bigfoot effect will wear off because it was, I, I think, pretty harmful to enable people to have intelligent discourse on this phenomenon. It's just too funny. People giggle too much. However, I think that interest will wane. It'll be like the moon. It'll wax and wane. It'll, it'll ebb and flow. After the television success of my own show, Survivor Man Bigfoot, and all the other shows, a lot of amateurs, because of YouTube and all the other platforms these days, are out there making films, and they're atrocious. They're horrible films, because they they're not filmmakers. I'd like to see some serious work done again, now that a lot of the joke shows are off air and relegated to repeat on smaller channels. I'd like to see some serious documentaries made. Will there be? I think so, for sure. I don't think this is ever going to go away. Why not? A, because it's pretty freaking interesting. But B, because maybe they are out there. And if they're out there, then there's always going to be these... If you see one tomorrow, you're like, man, I'm making a film. Because <laughs> I, I saw one. It's kind of funny. Once you start getting into the research of it, there are certain questions that you go, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so you're in the room with a lot of like-minded people who know what you know, and you, all, you don't even ask certain questions anymore. Kind of grade school. You're slowly learning about the subject matter. And no disrespect to people who know nothing about the subject matter, but obviously one of the first questions is, why don't we have a skeleton? You know, where's the skeleton? Notwithstanding the discovery on Flores Island, the discovery of the Denisovans, Denisovans, it's always a hard word to say, it's in uh, Russia, notwithstanding Gigantopithecus, the fact is we, there are probably other strains of humanoid type species that we have yet to find. Those are all findings. 
bones and skeletons and so on. However, why don't we find a skeleton now? This is cougar country. I could walk out there for the rest of my life. I'm probably never going to see a cougar skeleton. It's a predator. It's secretive. Goes off somewhere to die. And that's what happens mostly with predators and their bodies. You don't find predator skeletons in the woods very often. And I'm saying, when I say, well, yeah, but you just do find them. Yeah, because the population might be 60,000, 80,000, 125,000. If there's 1,000 Sasquatch in the entire state of Washington, and they're intelligent, secretive, and they bury their dead or they hide their skeletons, you're never going to find a skeleton. So most of us kind of let that one go. So, and again, you know what? The reality is, bodies have been found. They have been shot. They have been hit by cars. There's all kinds of anecdotal references and historical references to that happening. But then that leads us down the rabbit hole of cover-up. Another story. If I were talking to someone who knew absolutely nothing about it, and they kind of heard about it, and they knew there'd been stuff on TV, the first thing you have to get out of the way is, okay, first of all, we're not talking about one creature. This is not the swamp bog monster of some movie thing. This is not the Loch Ness monster, the thing. This is a species. The only way that all of these thousands of anecdotal references could even be possible would be if this species was healthy, intact, and maintained numbers. My wild speculative guess would be probably 30, 40,000 in North America. Say, whoa, that's so many, how come we don't say, well, hang on a second, I said North America, 30, 40,000, spread out in packs or groups, highly intelligent, highly secretive, strong, stealthy. So you, you, get, you get the picture here, we're spreading a mile way out. So where we are right here, this is, this is a Bigfoot hotspot where I'm sitting right now. But maybe in this area, there's 12 and they're, in, they're smart. That's easy. So getting past the, it's one guy, thing is first part of a conversation if somebody's genuinely interested the reality is you can't be authentic you can't do authenticity you either are or you're not it's just the way it is you're either honest or you're not and when I started my career my life as filming say for Survivor Man I didn't want to be sitting on panel being interviewed by Jimmy Fallon or Ellen DeGeneres and lying through my teeth because they're asking me about that crazy thing that happened to me that I know it never actually happened. I set it up. I transferred all of that from my Survivor Man series onto the Survivor Man Bigfoot series. And so it enabled me to look at somebody saying, well, you know, my wife, she feeds some pancakes. They come to the back door. They're in our backyard. And I go, okay, hey, that's great. I'm going to believe you. So you cool with me if I just camp in your backyard for three or four nights in a row. I want to see what can happen. Most of the time they're like, yeah, you know, uh, it puts the whole thing on the spot saying, okay, let's see. Let's see what you got. Show me what you got. That's being authentic about the whole thing. That way, if they got something, you can see it in my eyes. You can see it. In, I'm not an actor. So you can see it in my face. Like Survivor Man, if I went six days without any food, you saw it. The bags of mine, everything. If I was staying in a hotel, you'd know. Same thing with Bigfoot. I wanted the documenting of Sasquatch and Bigfoot of the phenomenon to be authentic, real, as real as it could be, given all the parameters. In producing Survivor Man Bigfoot, I absolutely had that classic metamorphosis of starting with the, I want to see if I can prove if it's a big ape. I kind of left that camp pretty quickly. 
when I heard so many ostensibly believable stories. I just learned that I had to open my mind wide, really wide, and take in things that I'd never considered before. So let's take that for example, like what? Let me fast forward then to maybe a conclusion that I have. I don't really have any conclusions, but I have some semi-conclusions on this phenomenon. One of them is this. If you take all the attributes and put it all into that one species, let's say they can do it all, all the things that people talk about. Telepathy, cloaking, scaling, mountains, you got it. And here's an interesting theory. It was um, put forward by Christopher Noel, a friend of mine. What if also this entire species, the entire DNA structure, everything to do with it, was extremely high-functioning autism? The whole species was, uh, was autistic. There's lots of studies now that autism is not a disability, it's a different way to be, a different way to think. If that was the case, let's take a look at the human camera. You can look at New York City for three seconds, turn around and paint it or sketch it, and it's to the millimeter of what he looked at. It's perfect. What is that? I don't know. I haven't got a clue what that is. It's freaking me out. Some of these savant-like abilities that people have. What if Sasquatch, the entire species of Sasquatch, is extremely high-functioning savant? That makes you think. What if one of their abilities is stealth-like hiding? Huh. You see what I'm saying? And I had to open up my mind to things like that. That came from Christopher Noel. What came from me? I started to get fanciful about, well, what if they actually understood laws of the universe that we're only just scratching the surface on right now, like quantum physics and things like that? What if they knew that those laws inside and out? What if they could alter their own vibrational energy? You know, could they do that and make their hand disappear? Does that account for all of that stuff that's going on in cloaking? I don't know, it's pretty fanciful, but it's fun to think about. The most compelling experience for me was the show where I went, for Survive Man Bigfoot, where Todd Standing and I went out and went up to the top of a mountain. We both stayed out overnight on top of the mountain, and then he left, and I stayed there alone. What went down that night, I'll never be able to explain. There's lights in the sky, I felt like I got, I was being sat on when I was inside my Sleeping bag, I you put stuff in the tree, 100 feet away, wake up in the morning, it's all gone with a trail cam on it and it just disappears on screen. I can't explain anything that happened on the mountain that night. And that really blew my mind. That opened me up to like, okay, I gotta hit the brakes. I gotta, I gotta reconsider all of this now. And then, you know, shortly after that, I went and spent time in Clem 2 with the Aboriginal culture up there. And my goodness, you're talking to people who are talking about stories that have been going on for hundreds of years about how they used to communicate with them. It was just a, just a thing. They're like, oh yeah, they're out there. This isn't three people in the town that think that, the whole freaking town. It's like, yep, they're out there, we don't go there. That really opens your mind up pretty wide to the possibilities. I'll tell you about this other situation. Is there compelling evidence right now? Is it on YouTube? Is there film footage that people have? The funny thing is, every time there is something that seems pretty darn credible, depending on who puts it on the internet, the Bigfoot community likes to just rip it a new one and just ridicule it and tear it apart. And this is what I believe happened with the Todd Standing footage. 
I still can't tell you if Todd's footage is real or isn't. If he duped me, more power to him, he duped me. But I'm a filmmaker, and I had the footage in my hand, the raw cards, and I looked at it in an editing suite. And I still can't sit here as a professional filmmaker and say he faked that film footage. So why is everybody so vitriolic about just hating that footage and saying it's all a hoax? These different people online, like Thinker Thunker, they're all just slam that footage. I'll tell you why. Number one, Todd Standing is a difficult individual to get along with. I will be generous. Number two, if this individual who other people have personality issues with has film footage that if it's real, it blows Patterson-Gimlin footage out of the water. And we all love our Patty, don't we? We all love that image of Patty. Everybody loves, you know, I know Bob Gimlin, wonderful man, like the guy a lot. Everybody loves that footage of Patty. So if Todd Standing comes along, has footage that is a thousand times better, but he's difficult to communicate with, well, that's fake. It's all fake. And I wasn't willing to, I said, you know what? I, and I got along with him. I was able to, do, to spend a lot of time with him. And I cannot say that that footage is fake. So look at it again. The thing is, if Todd Standing's footage is real, look at it. Then, holy crap. Because that's way more definitive than Patty and that stride and the, the Patterson Gimlin footage. Here's a little story about my night on the mountain alone. And when I made it down to the bottom, Took a lot of hours to get down to the lodge where my crew, who are busy getting shots of nature, were hanging out, as well as Todd Standing. And I came down pretty stoked and excited, knowing that I had actually caught something on my trail cam that night. And of course, I couldn't check it out up on the top of the mountain. It had to wait till I got down below and I could give it to Max Atwood, my incredibly talented and long-suffering cameraman, so that he could put it in the computer call it up, and we could take a look at what happened. As we scanned the images, we came across what was completely unexplainable. And that is that there were apples and chocolate bars in the tree that disappeared into thin air. They disappeared while being filmed. They just disappeared, just like that. And we were all freaked out. And I thought, how am I going to you know, show this and, and talk about it? And I remember... Todd getting very upset and going, whoa, 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 no, 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 you, you, you can't show that. You, you, you can't show that. That's, that's paranormal. And it was an indication of the various camps of Bigfoot enthusiasts, where they sit and how dedicated and committed they are to the position they occupy on the spectrum of beliefs about the subject of Bigfoot. Now, Todd was really focused on Gigantopithecus. To him, they were just big, smart apes. He wanted to hear nothing of anything that smelled of paranormal. Well, of course, I said, I'm going to put on whatever I want to put on. This is my film, and nobody's going to influence me one way or the other. And so, if you go and watch that episode right now on the Survivor Man Les Stroud YouTube channel, you can see those shots of the apples in the tree disappearing into thin air. Enjoy. That was part two of my three-part one-sided conversation about Bigfoot. Get ready now for part three. Coming at you next. I'll bring it all home. Oh, and when you go check out my documentary series on Survivor Man Dash Les Stroud YouTube channel, 
scan the playlists for Bigfoot. That's where all the action is. Keith Ullman, whom I'm pretty sure is a Sasquatch, engineered this podcast. Coincidence? I think not. And I'm a member of the Apostrophe Podcast Network. And for the record, Terry, Berks Falls is a Bigfoot hotspot. Have you checked for tracks outside your rock and roll mobile lately? Just saying. Stick around, everybody. We'll figure this life out together. Oh, wait, hang on. My new series, Wild Harvest, is airing now on American Public Television. Check to see which station's signal reaches your area. And that includes, by the way, Canada. It's all about local foraging. I take you out and teach you what you can gather for a wild edible feast. A feast prepared by a five-star chef, Paul Rogalski. As well, head over to my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud, where I'm uploading tons of free content weekly for you to enjoy, including archives, Survivor Man, Survivor Man Bigfoot, director's commentaries, and new music, just to mention a bit of what's there. The secret, by the way, is to click on the playlists. Lastly, and in time for Christmas... The second printing of my 20th anniversary film collection, featuring 76 films, is available through my website, lesstroud.ca. Okay, thanks. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? Click on subscribe, and then click on something else. Or, go be productive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 